You're listening to the Pre-Hospital Care Podcast on the Medics Academy Network. This episode of the podcast is sponsored by the Miku M Warmer. The M Warmer is a portable blood and IV warming system. So Miku has developed an IV blood warmer for emergency transfusions. It's a portable fluid warmer which warms blood from cold to body temperature within seconds. The setup time is less than 30 seconds and it's a user-friendly design ensuring that it can't be assembled incorrectly. So blood and other transfusion fluids can be heated from 5 degrees to 37 degrees as flow rates of up to 150 mils per minute. One charge battery can last up to 2 litres of cold fluids or indeed 4 litres of fluids at room temperature. So that's 21 degrees to body temperature. So the M warmer has a compact design and weighs only 760 grams making it portable and ideal for pre-hospital use. The single-use warmer's small size allows it to be attached to the patient close to the infusion site and using an integrated adhesive pad. This secures the infusion site and reduces heat loss in the tubing. So the M warmer system is approved in all ambulances, helicopters and fixed-wing airframes. Please see the show notes for further details on this industry-leading system. Welcome back to the Pre-Hospital Care Podcast with myself, Ren Walker. In this episode, I'm interviewing Vicky Brown on her trajectory and indeed career pathway through pre-hospital care. So what I wanted to do is just examine uh, Vicky's pathway through to being an advanced practitioner in critical care and indeed the first person in the country to get on the Faculty of Pre-Hospital Care Register of Consultant Practitioners by qualifying purely from a paramedic background. So we're going to trace her career pathway and indeed the steps she's taken to achieve such a pivotal role within pre-hospital critical care. So Vicky joined the ambulance service in 2002 and has had roles in management, learning and development and indeed on HEMS. She became the first ACPCC for Southwest Ambulance Trust in 2020 and indeed the first person to register as a consultant practitioner in pre-hospital emergency medicine in 2021. Welcome to the podcast, Vicky. Uh, thanks, Ben. Thank you for inviting me. It's great to uh, great to have you with us, Vicky. I just wanted to start by unpacking your journey into pre-hospital care. Could you maybe just speak to what got you into pre-hospital care in the first instance? Uh, yeah. So well, I used to work with horses, um, and I think one day I only thought I probably should have a different career that maybe might get a little bit more money. Um, I'd always wanted to be a vet, but I just didn't get the grades at A levels. So a friend of mine said, "Well, why don't you join the ambulance service?" And at the time, I literally knew nothing about it. I didn't know what a paramedic was. Uh, so I looked at my local paper. There just happened to be an advert for what was then Gloucestershire Ambulance Service. Uh, applied and I got a job as a trainee technician. Uh, in those days, that's kind of one of the routes in. So that's how I started. So that was, what, over 20 years ago. Gosh, you never look back. And I guess in that time, sort of 20 years ago, the ambulance service probably looked like a, a very different uh, very different service actually but could you maybe speak to some of the salient learning points that being that on that road as a paramedic has sort of reinforced for you over that over that 20 years yeah so like you said it was very different um I joined as a what was then called a sort of trainee te- technician which went in to be a qualified technician so um I gained a lot from working with the more experienced paramedics uh, in their roles. And you kind of, those days, you pretty much learned on the job and as you went along. Um, But I had to kind of learn how to speak to people. And I worked in a sort of semi-rural station. So we had some pretty long journeys to go to hospital. Uh, And in that time, I mean, I was fascinating stories from people. 
Um, but you kind of got to know a bit more about their illnesses and their injuries. And that kind of then, I just wanted to know more about it so that I could treat them the best I possibly could. And I think being a paramedic, I suddenly became a senior clinician on scene, you know, and I felt myself, I didn't really know an awful lot. But you kind of get in the deep end. I felt a little bit out of my depth um, to start with. But I think that really good because it encourages team working, um, which is one of my big things. I love kind of how teams work together, not just necessarily ambulance service teams, but to be working with other teams. Uh, and I took a lot from that, just especially in the early days. Of, you know, I'd have another sort of technician as they were in those days with me uh, and just learn how to how to sort of speak to people um, for a long, long periods of time, but also how to work as a team and manage those people. It's a really good point, actually. And I, I think, you know, 20 years ago, the service was uh, wasn't hadn't evolved into higher education. So there wasn't necessarily a degree or indeed a, a master's prerequisite for, for, for any of the sort of band-aid roles or, or other roles. So it was very much in its sort of still in its formative years of of, of education. But that, but you, you kind of moved through into management uh Vicky and and what did what what did the sort of as because like you said you were initially the senior clinician on scene even indeed even as a paramedic but what did sort of moving into management teach you um I think again management in those days was probably slightly different um definitely called different things so I was I think initially the sub officer and went to a station officer but I mean the titles were changing all the time and I think they probably still are to be honest um I found myself as an operational station manager um so in those days that was kind of you're like an area manager looking over, looking after several teams uh, and kind of the sort of everyday running of the ambulance service. Uh, and that was a massive steep learning curve for me. Uh, I hadn't done anything like that before. I'd managed just a team on station, but not like, you know, sort of 100 of people. Um, and I think I found that you just needed to listen um, to people and hear what they were saying. Everybody works differently. Um, and I think you can't have one fits everybody. So I think I had to figure out how to listen to them, how to then adapt so that I could get the best from them. Uh, so that was, yeah, that was a pretty steep learning curve. Um, but again, it was kind of working as a team, whilst there are obviously some things you can do on your own, but actually it seems to be, if you work together and pull together, uh, you can get a lot more done. <laughs> yeah, listen, I, that's really interesting. You said the active listening piece, and I'm, I'm trying to orchestrate that at the moment where where I'm working. And um but but yeah, absolutely, uh, and and that's sort of that's the jumping off point to that that team element. I think whereby, like you said, you can just truly get to the heart of what the issues are, but then building rapport, and then building the trust, and then sort of sort of working from there, really, which is which is which is key. But then you went so you 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 went through the manager role, the, the station officer role, and then and then sort of progressed into education and indeed. Um, um training so could you could you sp speak to how that sort of played a seminal role within your career pathway because I think it sounds like you've the, the education training has, has has been sort of a maybe a foundation of where you are now still because because in high performing teams it really is the heart of of, of what you do uh, maybe at GWAC but could you speak to that role and and how it sort of informed where you are now yeah I think um so during sort of the management role um I got a, sort of really interesting supporting others um and just trying to help them really with their careers as much as you know sort of working on my own uh, and there was an opportunity then in the education department or sort of learning development department in those days um 
to start with just to do sort of a bit of ad hoc teaching and see if I liked it. So um, I did a bit of that, really enjoyed it uh, and went and got some qualifications in teaching. And then I started doing sort of the updates and sort of the like we have now. I think a lot of places will have their sort of essential mandatory training and so doing some CPD for all staff um, and really enjoyed doing that. And I just love seeing people achieve what they didn't think they could achieve um, and just getting the best out of people. So I think for me, education training is really important. And like you say, you know, a GWAC, we do a lot of that. Um, I'm currently the lead for GWAC uh, for the education. And I like to see, I just like to see people sort of taking opportunities if there is, you know, if there's something there they can go and do um, and encourage them to do it because, you know, you get some people, oh, I can't do that. But actually they can do that, you know, and by a, sort of steering them the right direction and then seeing them achieve it is just really, really rewarding. So, yeah, I just love that side of it. I think that's powerful, actually, like you said, enabling people to step outside of what they think is possible and then and then open their eyes to to other things as well. So just just that approach to learning. I mean, I think one of the things that struck me about your career pathway and, and indeed your progression to where you are now, Vicky, is that it's, it's almost like re-signing up to learning every day. And indeed, every every day is a learning day, and, and you know you can learn something different. Is is that the is that the mindset and approach you've you've fostered over the past twenty years? Uh, yes, definitely. Um, I just think that we we're all learning constantly in all aspects of life, not just you know your professional life, but there's always you know things you can learn. Um, and I think with you know sort of pre hospital, there's there's new innovations coming in all the time. You know, sort of different interventions that have you know a lot of it's coming from military, a lot of it's coming from in hospital, and trying to get it into the pre hospital environments. But there's lots more research happening, especially pre hospital, which has been pretty sparse over the years uh, with new evidence. So I think by looking at all of this and you know learning more and more as much as I can, anyway, um, I think is really good. And it's really good for the profession. I think moving it forward as well. Um, patients are individuals um, and I think even if they have a similar illness they you know they may sort of react differently to different treatments and I think that's where you can also learn a lot so we are literally learning every day um, we kind of do um, like daily training at GWAC so every day the team will get together and they will do some form of sort of learning training and that literally can be anything from a case-based discussion uh, go and practice a skill intervention or actually just doing a full sim, you know, for a patient. So every day we'll do some form of, you know, sort of learning, teaching, training, which is really good. I think that's really important from not only from the, like you said, the cognitive perspective of breaking down sort of problem-based learning and, and, and then we, the outcomes, but also that kinesthetic learning of, uh, of the simulation where, like you said, you're interacting with the kit, you are reinforcing those pathways about how the kit goes together, just, you know, a simple RSI and not a non-simple RSI uh, and then um just and everything in between but but that like you said you just just making sure that there is learning occurring every day I think is 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 powerful and on that point Vicky just looking at some of the higher education elements that you've that you've broached sort of the the dip, diploma in immediate medical care the fellowship in immediate medical care and indeed the MSc yeah, there was a lot of fear. I, I, you know, I've taken the diploma, and there was a lot of fear amongst contemporaries, and indeed in myself when I took the exam, uh, the diploma in immediate medical care. But the revelation I had was that you've just got to go and do it, because actually, if you don't go and do it with some substantial studying on on the front end, then 
it's always just going to remain sort of a fearful um, examination to take that you you'll never grow through until you put yourself in that position and I the revelation was sometimes you've just got to step up and even if you fail it's okay there's still learning that occurs from that could you maybe speak to your journey through the diploma the fellowship and indeed a, a master's how, how how has that journey looked for you um yeah I definitely can feel your fear when you went to your jaws because I was exactly the same but I think um, I think some of the fear is it probably was seen as kind of doctor exams, so the diploma and particularly the fellowship actually were kind of seen as, you know, oh, it's the doctors that go and do that. So when I, I did it a few years ago, um, and to be honest, there were very few paramedics and nurses undertaking the exam. Uh, and yes, I was pretty fearful of doing it. But like you say, you just got to go and do it. And I think these days um, I'm also an examiner for both um, exams. And I think so a few years ago, there were very few paramedics. Um, there were very few paramedic examiners, and particularly there were hardly any female paramedic examiners. Now we have got quite a few paramedics, you know, doing the exams, um, both exams, which is really, really good. I mean, that just shows how the profession has developed, but also how the exams have developed. Um, both exams, they've been updated. They're now multi-professional. So, you know, the, the fellowship is open to paramedics and nurses just as much as the doctors. I think they were kind of, you know, they were kind of put in place a little bit as well recently for the FEM trainees um, that we have in the UK. So they go through a national programme. Um, they go and see the diploma pretty much in the sort of initial first year of training. And then their fellowship is sort of seen as the exit exam um, for pre-hospital. That's which is great. Absolutely brilliant. Um, but I think that probably did put some of the paramedics and nurses off. Um, and now that we've got a few sort of up there doing the exams, and helping to update the exams, there's a, there's a lot more people now prepared to go and sit them, I think. Uh, we, well, I mean, I'm on the level eight register as well for the faculty. Um, that was, yeah, I did it by an exemption route, uh, which was an awful lot of portfolio work, um, and then interviews, which was pretty daunting. But we got there. Uh, and actually now we're getting a few more paramedics on the register, which, again, is really good and just shows how the profession is moving forward. I did a um, I did an MSc, so I didn't do a paramedic degree because it never existed in my time. Um, it wasn't a thing. So I went straight to go and do a master's, um, which took probably just over three years, actually, because I did it in a couple of different universities. And I think these days, so the academic qualifications are pretty essential um, to move forward in our profession. Now you have to have a paramedic, some kind of foundational, you know, uh, Bachelor of Science degree for a paramedic role. And I think now with, you know, sort of the specialist practitioners, advanced practitioners, they are looking at postgraduate certificate, postgraduate diploma and your master's. So, yes, these days, definitely important to go and do that. Um, things have moved on, should we say, in the last 20 years. <laughs> So you work for, for GWAC, so Great Western Air Ambulance Charity, and you operate, I think I believe it's Helimed 65, which is a helicopter by day, I believe, 7 to 7 a.m. to 7 p.m. or indeed daylight hours. And then is it 1 p.m. to 1 a.m. you operate three cars across across the region? Um and it's so you see a, a very a wide case mix of both medical and trauma pathology. It's a physician and paramedic based uh, based system in in the west of west of England. And indeed, it's um, it sounds like the case mix is, is, is indeed quite varied. 
And indeed, the, the clinician base is quite varied. So you've got emergency physicians, you've got maybe an ethetist, you're working alongside consultant ethetists, and uh, indeed a, a whole wide variety of critical care um, paramedics. Could you could you maybe, A, correct me if I'm wrong <laughs> on that last <laughs> statement, and B, um, just what you've taken from working alongside some other fantastic clinicians um, in the service? Um, yes, no, actually, you were, you were pretty accurate. Um, so, yes, we are Helimed 65 um, and we run the helicopter on a seven, seven day shift. But we also put a, a, a late shift, which we've only just recently changed to a two till two. So actually, you weren't far off. Um, we do have so we have a car available um, for both shifts because we are based just outside of Bristol. So a lot of our work is in the city, which is often easier to get to by car. So it's exactly the same crew, exactly the same kit. It's just sometimes easier to get there. Uh, and then, so yes, yeah, so we'll have a doctor and a paramedic. Uh, the doctors are consultants and they do vary from emergency medicine to intensive care medicine, anaesthetists, cardiologists. Uh, and we've also got some that work with the neonates. So we're a pretty broad, broad uh, variety of consultants. And then we've got the paramedics. So the paramedics, they start as a trainee specialist paramedic, uh, and then they'll be qualified usually within sort of 18 months to two years. Then they'll um, work as a specialist paramedic. And we're currently just going through the process of signing off a advanced pathway uh, within the ambulance service. So I work uh, on the Great Western Ambulance Charity aircraft, but I actually come under Southwest Ambulance Service. Um, and they are working towards a training pathway for the advanced practitioners. So, yeah, so I work with, I mean, hugely experienced consultants and paramedics, um, which is definitely very beneficial. I've learned absolutely loads and still learning every day. We learn something. Um, I'm having those consultants from such a varied background. You can pretty much pick their brains on most things. And I've been there for over 11 years. So I think you know, being there for that amount of time has definitely developed me as a clinician, um, just gaining the knowledge and the experience that I've managed to do. And I think that's helped me with my new my role now, because I'm much more autonomous and feel a bit more comfortable doing that. And I kind of think I think more of what I'm doing and why I'm doing it. So rather than having an illness and thinking that illness needs this medication, I'm actually thinking about why am I giving this, you know, and all the risks and benefits involved with that. So, yes, uh, it's great working with all these people. Really, really good. So, Vicky, what does governance look like at GWAC? Um, so for the D&D, so the Death and Disability Rendered Case Review um, and Clinical Governance Day, how, how, how do you approach uh, governance? Uh, yes, I think, as you know, I mean, governance pretty much covers everything, doesn't it, From a, that's for some description. So, yes, we do, um, we do daily case reviews. So the team coming on in the morning will look at the previous team's uh, instance the, from the previous day. Uh, they will go through them, discuss them between themselves and pick up any points that might be good for the rest of the team to know about. We have a um, sort of fairly small governance group, uh, which is including doctors and the paramedics, who will also look at cases, flag any cases that there may be something that everybody can learn from. And then some cases will be taken to the monthly uh, clinical governance day and presented there so the whole team can see what went on and to see if we can take any learning from it. But we also, so we do lots of audits. Um, so we are auditing, obviously, all our pre-hospital emergency anaesthetics. We audit all our blood administration. Uh, we audit sedation paralysis by the paramedics if there's no doctor available. And all this will link into 
the ambulance service uh, who also have monthly meetings and the monthly meetings include all the HEMS units in SWAST so that we know we're all kind of maintaining the standard, checking in with each other and actually sharing ideas, which is really beneficial. So yes, lots of governance happening uh, every day uh, of some description, which, I mean, it needs to be done. It covers everything. Uh, and yeah, I think it gets the whole team involved with it as well, which is really good. So just looking at something you said earlier, actually, about sort of learning, the, the continued focus on learning, and indeed, it's, it's wider than just being a clinician. You know, I think there's something to learn about every aspect of life in 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 daily life. And um, so we we you know talking about sort of Dunning Kruger effect. You know, when you're in your in your formative years, you don't necessarily know what you don't know and then in you maybe more in the summative or later years you are acutely aware of what you don't know and maybe a bit more judicial and uh, and maybe a bit more conservative in your approach would you say uh, as you've progressed as a clinician has it a changed you as a clinician and b have you maybe become a little bit more conservative as you as as you've become far more senior um through sort of knowing what knowing what you don't know and also maybe seeing how things can go wrong quite quickly with sort of high acuity low occurrence skills how, how, how has it changed you um yeah I think you're right you don't know what you don't know and I'm still in that I don't know what I don't know um but actually the more you get to know I think the more scared you probably get as well um for the especially the sort of the, the level of interventions that we're doing and I think that then well it definitely with me anyway it makes you start to think hang on a minute this could go wrong very wrong uh so let's figure out you know is this beneficial for the patient to start with um and actually what are the risks involved and let's out you know which one outweighs the other i definitely think i think about it more um and i almost try to justify to myself why i'm doing something so i'd kind of go in thinking i'm not going to do anything okay, now I need to do whatever it might be, and it might be an anaesthetic, actually, can I justify why I'm doing this to this patient? And I think by thinking that probably makes you a little bit more cautious, um, probably because you know what could potentially go wrong. So yes, uh, I think I still got a lot that I don't know. Uh, and the more I go on, the more I think, crikey, yeah, there's more to learn. <laughs> So just looking as we're starting to come into land in the conversation, Vicky, but just looking at the pillars of advanced practice, um, something which I think indeed has, has come in sort of post that 20 year, it's come in since we since we both joined. But um, could you speak to sort of the how the pillars of advanced practice are? It sounds like you're building up the, the advanced uh paramedic pathway maybe from indeed within swast hey, could could you speak to how that you're orchestrating or building those pillars for, 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 to sort of support that pathway um yeah so advanced practice looks at four pillars which are um sort of clinical practice education and training leadership and management and research so when we started the advanced practitioner role within the ambulance service where i work we very much looked at these four pillars to see where they would fit so looking at sort of uh, clinical practice, uh, we looked at the scope of practice of the role. Uh, so this included sort of looking at surgical skills. So currently I can do things like um, a thoracotomy, a resuscitative hysterotomy, amputation, um, and that's without a doctor present, um, which is, I mean, it can be pretty scary. <laughs> um, and I think it's actually, it's, it's good. This is showing how the profession is moving forward. 
because actually that would have been, there's no way that would have even been heard of a few years ago. But also, you know, I can, I can carry more, you know, more drugs, we can use more drugs. So we're obviously a lot more now paramedics are able to do their non-medical prescribing, uh, which is really good. So you get more of a scope of practice with that just by having your prescribing um, ticket. But also, I think within the clinical practice area, you've got, you've got all your decision making. Um, and that's a pretty advanced decision making. Whereas if you're if you've got a doctor with you, you can kind of bounce ideas off them a little bit. They are the senior clinician on scene at the end of the day. Um, but with us now as, as the advanced practitioner, uh, we're very much autonomous. And that means you're obviously making the decisions. Another pillar is the education part, part of it. So like we've already mentioned, I mean, I love the, that education teaching side of it. And that's part of it is, is so we sort of teaching, we're doing mentoring um, and support for people that might not necessarily be a trainee, but you still, they still want some support of, you know, progressing their careers themselves. And also for my role, um, I organise the assessment days. So we have assessments for the paramedics and the doctors. Uh, so we organise that and just getting them through the next step so they can just progress with their, their career, whatever pathway that is. Leadership and management, that's another pillar. So um, I'm the clinical lead, education lead, research lead, governance lead. There's kind of a theme there uh, at GWAC because I'm the only advanced practitioner there at the moment. Uh, but I think that's a really important part of advanced practice. It's not just about going out and being the clinician, um, actually, it's leading your team as well. And then last but not, not, not least is the research side of it. And I think actually these days is becoming more pre-hospital research, which is really good. Um, I've recently been involved with a really good study, which was to do with, our, it's called aerator, but it was just looking at um, what generates aerosols, which was obviously particularly important previous pandemic. And that's been a really good study to be involved with, which hopefully should be published soon. So I shan't um, Chance to tell you what happened on that one yet. Uh, so yeah, so the four pillars, um, we've very much gone through each one individually and put it into our advanced roles, uh, which I think is pretty much what everybody does, both in hospital and out of hospital. Yeah, that's powerful actually, because like you said, it's I think it's all encompassing and it, and it addresses these fundamental sort of baselines really, which which need to I needed to push the profession forward. So I completely agree, actually, Vicky. As we're coming into land, actually, just just for listeners as we as we finish off, is there any sort of take-home messages that you would you maybe speak to to sort of encourage people into that sort of lifelong learning that that indeed that, that you've that you've walked through, or just just any take-home messages in general? Um, yeah, I think, I mean, quite often I get asked with how can I do what you do? Uh, and I think the answer is probably gain as much experience as you can. I'm a strong believer that, you know, competence with the knowledge and experience you get is very important. It's not just about your your title or your role. And I think, you know, don't you, you can't rush these things. You need time for experience. And I kind of say to people just, you know, enjoy being a paramedic, enjoy your paramedic journey and just gain whatever you can during that, you know, during that process uh, and get the experience. So, yeah, I think it's just go and enjoy it. <laughs> I think it's fantastic advice, actually, and I would absolutely advocate the same uh, myself. Vicky, listen, thank you for the last period of time and just for your thoughts and reflections, uh, because they're they're fascinating and really insightful. So thank you. Uh, thank you very much for having me. You're listening to the Pre-Hospital Care Podcast on the Medics Academy Network.